Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Frustration boiling over. Come on, guys, speed it up. It's the potable water we're talking about. Sunshine Coast residents fed up after 15 months of elevated arsenic levels in their drinking water. Grinches on the North Shore. It's about the kids' presence and how someone could actually come and destroy the presents and take most of them and rip them open. Christmas presents pinched in West Vancouver. The culprits caught on camera. The changing landscape of Stanley Park, with work underway to chop down thousands of trees lost to a moth infestation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. It's been more than a year since the Sunshine Coast community has been able to drink their water. More than a dozen families, all forced to use bottled water after elevated levels of arsenic were detected. As the months go by, residents still have no answer as to when the situation will be fixed. Grace Key reports. Well, it's just, just around the corner. To get drinking water, Jack McCarsky and his Garden Bay neighbours on the Sunshine Coast drive down a road to pick up a jug or two that are dropped off for them. Usually I get one, it depends how, uh, you know, in the summertime we try to get only one bottle because we don't want anybody to run out. Jack and his 18 Dream Valley Estate neighbours have been doing this once or twice a week for more than a year. Occasionally there is not enough water for everybody to get, so we have to go to IGA. The reason high levels of arsenic were found in the water well at the end of September 2022. Jack says they weren't told right away. So we were drinking, uh, you know, um, water with the arsenic for about two months. You couldn't have been happy with that. No, definitely not. We were, we were all outraged by that. I just recently received the uh, email from the owner of the Clearwater Utilities that uh, they're getting the quotes, I mean, since March and they're getting the quotes now. I mean, come on guys, you know, I mean, speed it up a little bit, you know. For Jack, the matter was made worse when he and his neighbors recently had their utility bill go up from $45 to $117 a month. We all, f you know, found this as an insult to us. For the water we cannot even drink. And I mean, I mean, seriously? fix the problem first. The service provider is Clearwater Utilities. A statement reads in part, Unfortunately, this past year, the level of arsenic became unacceptable, possibly due again to drought conditions. And so we continue to work diligently together with the local health officer and certified water specialists to correct and remedy. All necessary steps are being taken as recommended. To many, including this utility, it has been more of a challenge than anticipated. Now it's ready to eat. Residents can bathe, wash dishes and do laundry with tap water. They'll continue to be provided with drinking water with no word yet on how much longer this will continue. Grace Key, Global News. 
If you felt an earthquake this afternoon, you're not alone. Earthquakes Canada says a 4.9 magnitude quake originated about 137 kilometers northwest of Pemberton just before 3.30. But it was felt on Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast and parts of Metro Vancouver. No damage or injuries have been reported. One person is in stable condition after a two-vehicle crash Sunday morning in Langley. It happened around 10.40 a.m. on 216th Street near 93rd Avenue. Langley RCMP say fire crews had to arrive to help one person out of their vehicle. They were then transported to hospital. The crash is still under investigation. In Langley's Aldergrove neighborhood, a man attempted to evade police by scaling an industrial building. It happened along Old Yale Road around 11.30 this morning. Police say the suspect was wanted for breaching contact conditions. He's facing charges of obstruction and breach of release. The Vancouver Park Board says tree removal near the Stanley Park Causeway has finished earlier than anticipated. Dozens of trees were taken down in the park over the weekend, focusing on the area near Prospect Point and the Lionsgate Bridge. Those trees have been particularly hard hit by the looper moth outbreak, which has damaged roughly 160,000 trees in the park. Work was supposed to close lanes on the Causeway and the Lionsgate Bridge today, but the Park Board decided it was unnecessary. It's a real-life tale of the Grinch who stole Christmas. With a little more than a week until the big day, some West Vancouver residents are now reeling after their homes were broken into this weekend. Thieves not only made off with gifts, but with priceless heirlooms too. Angela Jung reports. And they've got bags of all the gifts. Caught on camera, Christmas bandits taking off with luxury items and presents. It's about the kids' presents and how someone could actually come and destroy the presents and take most of them and rip them open. Jamie and Taylor returned home from vacation to this. Shattered glass and some open presents left behind. We've agreed to just use their first names as they're now scared for their safety. It wasn't just the Christmas tree and it wasn't just the, the broken glass. Uh, I realized that it was every room uh, and it just made me feel uh, extremely violated. They kicked the door, kicked the entire frame out. The thieves entered the home Friday night, appeared to know where to go, turning off the motion sensors and managing not to set off any alarms inside right away. They didn't steal all the gifts. Some of the things that were left are um, some kids' clothes, chocolates, little kids' gifts. Um, they clearly didn't want these. Once they left, they were caught on surveillance again, targeting a home just minutes away, where they took off with some prized possessions. I saw my jewelry box was empty. Uh, the safe had been thrown over on the floor, and it's a very large safe, so I knew there'd been multiple people who had broken into the home and I absolutely panicked. Kelly Jackson was out at dinner when the crooks broke in. She says she was devastated when she saw her late aunt's precious pieces are gone. There are no words to lose those things. It's like losing her again. Jackson wants to warn others while West Vancouver police investigate the break-ins. Such an invasion to have these people in your home, so I hope everyone takes more precautions, uses their alarm system, um, and is careful what they post on social media. Now Jackson and Jamie are pooling their money together. Losing her jewelry is like losing her, so I'm desperate to get that back. And if a reward helps in any way, I'm happy to pay it. Offering $10,000 for tips that lead to arrests. Angela Jung, Global News. 
The union representing B.C. ferry workers has accused the corporation of using unfair tactics during negotiations for a wage hike. The B.C. Ferry and Marine Workers Union filed the complaint on Thursday and are seeking $2.1 million in damages. They allege B.C. Ferries has bargained directly with members of the union, which they say is not how negotiations typically work with the unionized workforce. They claim it's created a strain within their workforce. Usually the discussions are more of a face-to-face program and there's a representation from each body as opposed to uh, going and speaking with uh, our membership directly. And that's been the historical practice for, for more than 40 years between our two organizations. And this is, uh, we see as a departure from, from pro- process and practice. A spokesperson for BC Ferries says the corporation honours its agreement with the union about respectful communication and will be responding to the complaint. Negotiations for a wage hike took place in 2020, but the union says that increase was conservative and has not kept up with inflation. After three months of early closures, part of the Canada Line will return to regular service this week. Since the beginning of September, service on the section between Bridgeport and Richmond Brighouse stations has ended at 9.30 on weeknights due to construction on the new Capstan station. Regular service will resume Wednesday. The new station is expected to open early next year. Burnaby RCMP is asking for your help locating a missing 28-year-old Indigenous woman. Ashley Giesler was last seen in the area of Kincaid Street and Ingleton Avenue late Wednesday afternoon. At the time, she was wearing a black hoodie, puffy jacket, and blue jeans ripped on both pant legs. She's 5'7 and has a slim build. Police say they are very concerned for her well-being. Anyone who may have seen her or has information on her whereabouts is asked to contact them immediately. Still ahead, the pricey road to recovery. A Vancouver Island man paralyzed in a freak accident while swimming, now on a mission to raise money for potentially life-changing stem cell treatment. And the latest numbers on salmonella cases in BC linked to contaminated cantaloupes. Vancouver Island man who became paralyzed in a swimming accident in 2021 is hoping to start stem cell treatment to improve his quality of life. But in order for the 25-year-old to receive it, he'll have to travel to South America. As Cassidy Moscone reports, his family believes it's all worth it for a young man with his whole life still ahead of him. One moment Cameron Thompson was swimming with friends near Courtney, the next his life changed forever. When I dove into the water, I knew instantly that I became paralyzed. The 25-year-old severed his spinal cord, paralyzed from the neck down, with only little movement left in his shoulders and arms. And then the nightmare began. I just wanted to try and get you to go straight. That was two and a half years ago. Cameron's been in and out of hospital ever since. Like he was all on his own. He's had multiple lung collapse, pneumonia, bladder infections. Uh, we've both had COVID. Now that he's doing better and healthier, it's like, let's get this journey going. Cameron now hoping to fly to Colombia for stem cell therapy. Four treatments taking place uh, three months apart throughout a year. And uh, the stem cells will be put directly into the spinal column. It will improve the nerve pain. It will improve the spasms and you know, fingers crossed, we've been told that it could help with some movement and feeling. Life-changing treatment with an eye-watering price tag. It's 50000 just just for the treatment. Um, that's not including airfare. 
The family now asking for help to get him there. He's got the rest of his life. Um, if we can make him better in any way, I, we got to try. So I have hard days thinking about uh, kind of what life could have been. Other people have it worse and you just got to kind of deal with what you got. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Canada's public health agency has now confirmed 17 cases of salmonella in B.C. linked to contaminated cantaloupes. The agency says it confirmed 153 cases of the illness as of last Friday. Six people have died since the outbreak and 53 people have been hospitalized. The public health agency says it's mostly been young children and seniors that have been affected and that they're working with public health authorities across the country to investigate the outbreak. The forestry industry needs change from the bottom up. That's according to a Prince George business owner who says policy surrounding the province's forests needs to be rethought. We get the story from CKPG News. After a year of seismic changes in the forestry industry in B.C., a local business owner involved in the industry for over 50 years is sounding the alarm about the current state of the forestry sector. Right now the industry is broken and the its forest policy around it is broken. We need to totally, from the bottom up, redesign our forest policy. Brink says that due to lack of access to fibre in BC, companies are pursuing opportunities elsewhere. A lot of the major uh, primary manufacturers are investing elsewhere. Uh, may it be in the U.S. Southeast, uh, you know, in, the, in Southern Yellow Pine, or maybe in Sweden or in other places. And one of the reasons is access to fiber and, and, and being able to plan ahead and predictability in terms of fiber availability. Unless the market changes and prices for lumber drop, Brinks says that investors are going to be deterred. The cost of timber uh, and, uh, for the mills uh, is, is too expensive at this point and it, it, it will deter investment into new mills are, are making changes to existing mills until we see the market either changing dramatically or otherwise costs coming down. And a reasonable access to fiber, says Brink, would attract companies to invest. We have the fiber, the quality of the fiber, the locations, the marketplace. We have people that are willing to invest, including people like us. But we cannot do that unless we have reasonable expectation to access to fiber. So if the status quo isn't working, what is the solution? The future of the industry is innovative primary and in combination with intensive secondary. That's where the future lies. The challenge put forward by Brink to government and industry is that if there is no action taken now, when will there be? Adam Burles, CKPG News. Still to come, reaction from the Jewish community after an Ottawa teen is arrested on suspicion of terrorism and the warning from the RCMP about a rise in violent extremism among teenagers. Also ahead, the growing international pressure for a ceasefire in Gaza, how Israel's Prime Minister is responding. To fallout now from a story we broke yesterday on Global News, the arrest of a 15-year-old in Ottawa accused of facilitating and instructing terrorist activity against Jewish people. Leaders from that community are urging Canadians to be more vigilant, as the RCMP warns about a unique rise in violent extremism among teens. The Mounties say there have now been five Canadian teens arrested on terror-related cases since June. Mike Drolet reports. 
The RCMP say an Ottawa teen's targets in an alleged terrorist attack, Jewish people. Shocking, perhaps, from a 15-year-old, but with the RCMP reporting a growing trend in youth being radicalized, it's no longer surprising. The allegations against the youth have not been proven. Meanwhile, Jewish communities across the country are taking note and issuing warnings. The Jewish Federation of Ottawa released a statement saying that while the police assess there is no risk because the individual is in custody, we ask that everyone exercise heightened awareness and diligence in following security protocols. It's a terrifying new reality uh, for Jewish communities around the world, including here in Canada, um, where Jewish institutions, synagogues, schools have been firebombed and shot at already uh, before this latest development. In an exclusive interview with Global News, the Ottawa boy's father said his son was naive and that the Iraqi family had taken steps to prevent the youth from being radicalized. Oh, it's more religious, I knew that, and I warned him many times, me and his mother, uh, stay away from, you know, extremists or something. Uh, and we, uh, his mom arranged you know, some uh, sessions with the imam of the mosque to talk to him, I think he did, and to keep him away from extremist religious people. You know, we never had this in, uh, in the family. But Global News later found Facebook posts allegedly made by the father. According to the Facebook translation of the Arabic posts, they refer to Zionists and Jews in a derogatory manner, while one says to get rid of all Israelis. When asked if the Facebook page was his, the youth's father said his lawyer had advised him not to comment. The posts were subsequently deleted. The Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs is now calling on the police to investigate the father. It typically is young men, um, you know, in their 20s, in their early to mid 20s, um, that that participate in, in you know extremist activities. But it does certainly appear that, you know, people are getting younger and younger uh, when it comes to their exposure and their um, um, sympathies uh, towards you know extremist rhetoric and narratives, um, uh, particularly when it comes to to, to things like anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Since June of this year, the RCMP have arrested five youth for alleged terrorism. Mike Trollet, Global News, Toronto. Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says another 90 people were killed by an Israeli strike at the Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza. International pressure calling for a ceasefire in Gaza is increasing by the day. The foreign ministers of the UK and Germany say they want what they call a sustainable ceasefire. And on a visit to Israel, their French counterpart says she wants to see an immediate end to the fighting. Israel's prime minister insists his country will fight until Hamas is destroyed as Israeli defense forces invited the media to see what Israel is calling the biggest Hamas tunnel found so far. Redmond Shannon reports and a warning that some viewers may find images in this story upsetting. The subterranean tunnel. In northern Gaza, Israel's defense forces show members of the media what Israel says is the biggest Hamas tunnel uncovered yet. Without demolishing the tunnel project of Hamas, we cannot demolish Hamas. Parts appear big enough to drive a vehicle through. And this is video released by Israel, which it says was filmed by Hamas during tunnel construction. Israel says the tunnel was used by Hamas militants during the October 7th attacks, which triggered this war. On a visit to Israel and the occupied West Bank, France's foreign minister called for an immediate ceasefire.
Her counterparts in Germany and Britain wrote a joint newspaper opinion piece Sunday saying they support a ceasefire, but only if it is sustainable. That may be somewhat ambiguous, but marks a shift in tone for two nations that abstained from Tuesday's UN ceasefire vote. Fighting is not the answer right now. We want our people here. Many families of kidnapped Israelis want a ceasefire too. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will fight until Hamas is eliminated. But he says negotiations with Qatar and Egypt are ongoing to secure the release of hostages. In Gaza, the desperation of those stuck in a war zone, illustrated by the ever more frenzied scramble around aid trucks coming in from Egypt. But in a glimmer of good news Sunday, Israel allowed UN aid through the Kerem Shalom border crossing for the first time since October 7th. That should increase the aid flow. The Palestinian Red Crescent says before now, only 10% of the aid need was being fulfilled. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. After the break, holiday festivities all for a worthy cause. The winter wonderland in Kelowna supporting families going through major medical treatment. Right where we're standing, this is like ground zero. Some of the most iconic albums from the 80s and 90s were recorded right here in this Vancouver studio. It's a combination of the building and the people. We're here to make a record. We're not here to have a party. But we look up from the console and they're gone. Well, you have to be half shrink, half producer. You see, we recorded Slippery when wet right down the street. Fireworks lit up the night sky in Belcara Bay as part of the Santa Ships light show last night. Boats were decked out with lights and decorations cruising around the bay, all while Santa made an appearance at the wharf before the light show ended the night. The Santa Christmas Ships event began on December 1st. The boats are set to make their next appearance on December 23rd, covering Deep Cove, Belcara Bay and the Dollarton area. Yvonne joins us now. Yvonne, that was a pretty nice night last night for a fireworks show. Yeah, it's been pleasant throughout the weekend. We've had dry conditions, but a bit of a change is on the way. And we will see the return for some wet weather, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. We're currently sitting at 8 degrees. We've hung on to cloud cover through the day, but there is some rain that is on our doorstep, and it is already moving across the island. It'll pick up with a chance of showers for most areas across the lower mainland, and then a wave of rain as we get in through the day tomorrow will be heavy at times, and then continuing even in towards our Tuesday. So so this is what we're anticipating across the region. We could see some fog set up once again, and this is the weather maker that'll be moving along coastal areas, bringing us the return for that wet weather. Now here's a quick snapshot. So as we get in towards the morning hours, it'll intensify in terms of the rain. So if you're making plans, it'll be by the afternoon and leading in towards the evening that we'll see some of the heavier rain across Metro Vancouver overnight tonight. Cooler for the interior. Kamloops down to the freezing mark. Prince George minus three and an overnight low of minus six for areas near Smithers. Now here's the future cast putting it into play. There's that wave of moisture that is going to move in. So for the afternoon, be prepared after school and leading in towards the evening commute. We are going to see that rain intensify. It'll be a wet day on Tuesday and it is going to be on and off rain throughout the week leading in towards our Christmas. And I'll have that forecast coming up in just a moment. Now, if you're heading along the Sea to Sky, Coquihalla, most of the mountain passes 
analysis this evening, we'll be seeing some fog. The areas of concern for tomorrow will be late afternoon and evening along the Coquihalla that we could see the risk and the potential for some freezing rain. Flurries along the Rogers as well as the Connector and the Kootenai Pass could see some snowfall. It'll be late and up to five centimeters. Now here's a quick snapshot along the northern half of the province. We will be seeing that rain heavy at times. The winds will pick up between 30 and a few spots could get up to 60 kilometers per hour. Central interior will be tracking some snowfall through the day, two centimeters by the evening hours with an additional five. Most areas into the southern interior, a nice break through the day. Mix of sun and cloud, a chance for some flurries will move in towards the evening, overnight, and then continuing in towards Tuesday. Across the island, though, it is going to be quite soggy as early as the morning hours will continue to track that rainfall. Lower mainland, however, along the western regions, we are going to see that rain move in towards the afternoon, later for the Fraser Valley, but highs tomorrow anywhere between 8 and up to 9 degrees. Tuesday, a soggy one, we're into double digits. Wednesday towards the evening, a brief break, and then a Thursday, Friday, so far, it's on and off rainfall, highs between 8 and nine. Travis? Okay, definitely a change in weather. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> Soggy. Yeah. The countdown to Christmas is on and there's plenty of holiday events popping up across the Okanagan. And the Kelowna Street today was transformed into a winter wonderland for a fundraiser. Sydney Morton has more. All that's missing from this winter wonderland is a fresh dusting of snow. Kelowna's Royal Avenue playing host to the first Winter Wonderland fundraiser for Joanna's House, which provides a place for families to stay when they travel to support a loved one receiving care at Kelowna General Hospital. There's definitely a lot going on. Yeah, so we have a beer garden with a view and Redbird. They're doing beer, cider, glühwein. And we have Santa photos with Wolfette. They've done an amazing like Hallmark movie background. We have our little mini gift vendor market. We have like Sunrise Rotary, the Oak Okanagan Candle Company, a couple of our own endeavors like we've made little uh, Joanna's House mittens to sell for the day, limited edition, and then lots of kids activities. The holiday party is a fundraiser and donations at the gate go towards supporting Joanna's House, which has been helping families since 2019. Since opening, we have had over 2,000 families, but that has equated to over 19,000 nights in the house. So the cost to stay at the house is just $25 a night, and that's for a family. So that's not per person or anything, it's one room, and there's no taxes. I mean, it's just, it's so affordable. Once you've had your fill of holiday cheer over at Winter Wonderland, you're invited to warm up and take a tour of Joanna's house. Come on in. We've got this beautiful living room that you can just come and sit and relax. Mostly people will sit here and just like read a book. Some people will sit and work. Walking into our amazing dining rooms slash kitchen, our uh, dining room, if it was full, we could actually seat like 52 people in here. Yes. So we've got a dream kitchen as you can just imagine there's enough room in here so that you could kind of had four families um, cooking at the same time the inaugural winter wonderland fundraising event replaces the better together fundraiser which was held in october sydney morton global news a nice event there okay we saw some s'mores in that uh, in that store got us thinking two of us here are s'mores fans but one of us not a fan. I, don't like I have a sweet tooth. That one just doesn't grab me. I don't know. I'm not big on the marshmallow. We gave you a little a little hack. You just need a celebration cookie. You put them in between, yeah. and then it sort of skips a step. Yeah, I don't know.
not no? my biggest, not my favorite thing. We'll make them for you. Yeah, maybe we'll have to bring yeah. them. Yeah, maybe I don't do it right, we'll as the kids say. I don't do it right. The, uh, the Canucks doing it right? Yeah, they did. I will say, uh, if they were a s'more, it'd be, today it was kind of sloppy and not very good looking, <laughs> but it tasted okay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they don't give style points in the NHL, and the, uh, but the Canucks got the two points. That's the style points they're looking for. So they eked it out against the 32nd place team in the league, the Blackhawks. And uh, Connor Bedardi did have two assists, but the Canucks won. And you know what? They're a point out of first in the entire NHL behind Vegas. So it's a heck with style points. They're just winning. So we'll have highlights of that and uh, lots of NFL coming up. Sounds good. Thanks, Barry. Mm. And still ahead, a reunion years in the making. A British boy who vanished six years ago is found in France. What authorities are saying about his years-long disappearance? An exclusive new poll for Global News shows an overwhelming majority of Canadians think it's time for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to step aside. More than two-thirds of Canadians think he should resign in 2024. The Liberals have been struggling in the polls, but as Abigail Beeman tells us, all signs point to Trudeau staying the course. The main takeaway from this new poll, 69% of Canadians feel Prime Minister Justin Trudeau should resign in 2024. Ipsos took a slightly different approach and asked people to share their opinions as to why they feel that way in their own words. And the reasoning broke down into two camps. 70% of Canadians saying that a prime minister should go is really high, but it's a mix of things. It's not just, I don't like this person or I don't like what he's done. There's other people who are kind of uh, thinking that, you know, any change is a good change. And then there's another group of people who are saying in order to position the Liberal Party for the next election, because I can't vote for Polyev and I can't vote for Singh, I need another option on the Liberal bench. As high as that 69% number may be, Ipsos also found that almost as many people don't expect Trudeau to go anywhere. 63% of respondents think it's not likely that he will resign ahead of the next election. Maybe that's because he's been so consistent, saying over and over again he plans to stay on, gearing up to go head-to-head -head with Conservative leader Pierre Polyev when the time comes. Historically, prime ministers are often pushed out rather than leaving on their own. And with no obvious heir apparent getting people excited, political experts say a liberal leadership race between now and the next election poses a risk for the party. So much of its identity is wrapped up in the Trudeau brand, even if that brand has lost some of its shine during the government's eight-year run. A leadership race at this point would divide the party, would expose divisions that are already there, would create question marks around what the party stands for, even more than there is now. There are now, and I think the Conservatives would do what they do really well, which is jump out and define the person right away before they get a chance to do it themselves. If Trudeau stays on, a different danger with these numbers are the people who choose to sit out the next election. They may not want Trudeau to be prime minister again, but they're not prepared to vote conservative or NDP. And experts say that can cause not just low voter turnout, but volatility in the electoral system and for funding critical for the campaign. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. The British boy found in France after going missing for six years has made it safely back to the UK. We've got specially trained officers who are supporting not only Alex but also his immediate family as well. Uh, them officers have been um, uh, with family members and Alex now for the past uh, day or so uh, and providing whatever support we can offer. 
Alex Batty never returned home from a trip to Spain with his mom and grandfather in 2017. He was 11 years old when he went missing. The now 17-year-old was found by a delivery driver after he reportedly escaped a spiritualist mountain community in the Pyrenees. Police say they'll need to speak with the boy to go over what happened to determine whether there'll be a criminal investigation. Thousands of people in Australia are being urged to move to higher ground because of flooding dangers. On Sunday, authorities in North Queensland said major flooding is already underway in some Cairn suburbs. The flooding comes following heavy rain from ex-tropical cyclone Jasper, which hit the region this week, leaving tens of thousands without power and forcing evacuations. The country's national weather forecaster predicts dangerous and life-threatening flash flooding in Cairns and some water levels could exceed a record 13.5 feet. Cairns is a popular tourist destination and often called a gateway to the Great Barrier Reef. After the break, Barry's here with sports. The Canucks taking on the last place Chicago Blackhawks earlier today and the team getting their first look at rookie Phenom and North Van native Connor Bedard. in the twinkle of one million festive lights. Glow Langley is back with a Christmas carnival-themed light show. Join the festivities below the big top for live music, food trucks, mini carnival games, and more. Ring in the new year with an epic 80s dance party with the Atari Radio Stars. Dress in your best 80s glitz and dance into 2024 with the biggest hits of the 80s. Info at mooncoinlive.com. For RBC, I'm Yvonne Shell. In partnership with BC Cancer Foundation, with you, life beyond cancer is within reach. Give at bccancerfoundation.com. Another early Canucks game mm -hmm. today. Yeah, well, it was a good chance for uh, everyone to check out Connor Bedard, yeah. of course. First time the Canucks were facing him. I mean, Connor's from North Van, admittedly big Canucks fan. I mean, really, though, he hasn't been around that long since he can kind of remember. They haven't really been that good, but he's kind of followed this core of uh, players, so a chance for him to play them for the first time, too. All right, thanks so much. Connor Bedard has uh, dazzled the NHL in his rookie season, leading all rookies in scoring with 12 goals and 12 assists in 29 games. Despite the fact the Blackhawks are a bad team, they're dead last in the NHL, Canucks got their first chance to play against the kid who used to cheer for Vancouver as a kid growing up, of course, in North Van. Bedard's uh, Blackhawks uh, have struggled of late. Got thumped 7-1 in Seattle, but they did come out and play hard today. Joey Anderson steals the puck from Philip Roenick, and then his shot tipped in by Nick Foligno. Hawks were out shooting the Canucks 12-1 midway through the first. So the Canucks, another sleepy start on the afternoon puck drop. But just as a 5-on-3 expired, Canucks will get one. JT Miller, perfect seam pass for Elias Pettersson, his 12th. It's 1-1. Bedard doing his thing, firing pucks from all angles. Thatcher Demko had to stay tall to get a shoulder on that one. 1-1 one, one after one. Early second, Hawks on the power play. Bedard with the shot. It stopped, but Nick Foligno, one check, bangs in the rebound for his second of the game. 2-1 Chicago. But then the alarm finally went off for the Canucks. And not surprisingly, the fourth line gets them going. Connor Garland with the shot pass deflected in by Dakota Joshua. Garland has been excellent in his new role. 4.95 mill for a fourth liner but he is effective 41 seconds later the usual sucks uh, suspects strike it's uh, Brock Besser 
23rd of the year, tying Austin Matthews for the league lead, and the Canucks lead at 3-2. And then Tyler Myers with the point shot, Ilya Mikheyev with the deflection in front, number 10 on the year for Mikheyev, quietly producing 4-2 Canucks after two. Now mid-third, Blackhawks, a tough guy, Reese Johnson running around a bit. Big hit on Pedersen. Nikita Zadorov did not like it. Chases him down and then takes him down with some big Drago right hands. But he got an instigator and a misconduct for that. So on the ensuing power play, Blackhawks make the Canucks pay. Bedard on the rush. Check, but Cole Gutman fires past Demko. Second assist on the day for Bedard, so it's 4-3. Canucks should have restored the two-goal lead, but Peter Morazic, check out the acrobatic stop. Wide open net for Nils Hoaglander, but Morazic gets the paddle on it. That is a great save. But the Canucks hang on for the 4-3 win. NHL leading 16th victory for Demko. Canucks now just a point behind first place Vegas in the Pacific. On a back-to-back, -back, you try to find your legs. And uh, it's nice to be tied after one, especially when you don't feel at your best. And then we got rolling and uh, you know, kind of gave ourselves a cushion. And you know, they fought back, though, but it was good to hold on. Sticking to the system. Uh, coaches give you a game plan before, and uh, if you trust it, you know it's going to work. So we just we just uh, try to play the right way each and every night. And uh, if pucks go in, they go in. But just good defensive line that uh, you know can chip in from time to time. And the Canucks are in Nashville Tuesday, but Vegas just a point up on Vancouver, hosting Ottawa. Aiden Hill started this game but left with an injury. Senators greet Logan Thompson with a power play goal. Ridley Gregg with the ripper. And Ottawa leads 2-1, to one, but Vegas gets it back. Jonathan Marcheseau from a long way out. Eunice Corpusalo missed it. Can't do that. 2-2 two, two after one, and now Vegas has tacked on two more. They're up 4-2 in the second. Vancouver Giants just finished up a matinee at the LEC. They beat Seattle by the final of 3-1. Giants are now eighth in the West, 13-18-2 record. The Seahawks were originally scheduled to host the Eagles today, but the NFL moved the game to Monday night, so it does give quarterback Geno Smith an extra day to heal his injured groin. Officially, he will be a game-time decision as Seattle tries to snap a four-game losing streak and get a huge win against last year's NFC champs, who have lost two in a row of their own. And word now that Eagles starter Jalen Hurts is ill and is now questionable to start tomorrow night. So we could see both backups in the lineup start that one. Packers, one of the teams ahead of the Seahawks in the tight NFC standings. Packers hosting Tampa Bay. Bucks got a big day from quarterback Baker Mayfield. Finds Rashad White for the touchdown. 20 to 10, Tampa. And um, the Floridians did well on the frozen tundra today. Mayfield had four touchdown passes on the day, including this one to Co-Keith. That's his first catch of the year. It's a touchdown. Bucks win 34-20. They are 7-7. Seven and seven. They lead the NFC South. The pack dropped to 6-8. and eight. Rams, another team with the edge on the Seahawks, hosting Washington. It was all L.A. early, already up 13-0. Matt Stafford going deep to Cooper Cup, who is kind of open. Why would you cover Cooper Cup, one of the best in the NFL? A blown coverage to say the least. 62-yard touchdown, 20-0 L.A. Fourth quarter, uh, Rams will seal the deal, and they actually would need this touchdown. Stafford to Demarcus Robinson, 28-7 at the time. It ends 28-20. Rams solidify their playoff spot. They are 7-7. Seven seven. They own the tiebreaker on the Hawks because they beat them twice this year. 49ers and Cardinals. San Fran looking for the NFC number one seed. Defense coming up big, tied at seven in the second. Kyler Murray's pass picked off by Charvarius Ward, and he's got a head of steam, and he's gone. 66-yard pick six. 49ers took the lead, would not look back. 
third quarter, Brock Purdy will roll away from the pressure. He's going deep, and Christian McCaffrey, why would you cover him, one of the best players in the league, gets up after backpedaling to make the catch, and the Niners roll 45-29. They are 11-3, and they continue to be the top seed in the NFC. Cowboys and Bills from Buffalo. Bills in desperate need of a win. Started the day in ninth place below the playoff line in the AFC. Josh Allen determined to get Buffalo in. Bills up seven in the second. Allen rolls out, throws on the run. Nice delivery for James Cook. 18-yard touchdown. Bills lead 14-0 and really never in any danger of losing this one. Fourth quarter, Cook one more time. Will take it in and uh, give him some style points on the landing into the end zone. Bills 31-10, resounding win. They go to 8-6. Cowboys are just 10-4, uh, but they're just 3-4 on the road. Chiefs and Patriots. Chiefs looking for the top seed in the AFC. Patriots looking for the number one overall pick because they're last. Patrick Mahomes hits Jarek McKinnon for the touchdown. 14-10 Chiefs at the half. Taylor Swift approves, although her boyfriend Travis Kelsey didn't do much today. I may have him in my fantasy team. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with the touchdown catch here. Casey wins it 27-17. They are 9-5. The Patriots are 3-11 and just a game ahead of Carolina for the worst record in the league. All right, some uh, British football premiership at Arsenal and Brighton. Gunners beginning the day second behind Liverpool. No scoring first half, 54th minute. Corner kick, Gabriel Jesus. Well, he's not going to miss that one. No one covering him at the back post. 1-0 Arsenal. Gunners outshot Brighton 26-6 in this one. 87th minute, they will put it away. Kai Havertz, nice little chipper here to make it 2-0. That was the final. Arsenal into first with the victory because Liverpool and Man United drew 0-0. So Liverpool now second, a point back of the Gunners. Final round of the PNC Championship from Orlando. Charlie Woods and... His pops, Tiger, didn't have a great day one yesterday, but they putted much better today. Tiger for the eagle at the fifth. That gets uh, Team Woods jump started, but the shot of the day goes to 14-year-old Charlie, who was driving the ball 300-plus yesterday. Here he shows the short game, chips in for the birdie at the tenth. Team Woods finished 11 under 61 today, second lowest score of the day. They ended up tied fifth overall at 19 under. Big smiles for Tiger and... Uh, Nice to see the Woods family doing well in golf. You know, Tiger, it's been a while for him, but it was Team Longer. Bernard Longer just continues to dominate the 50-plus uh, champions and his son, Jason. It was Jason who seals the deal with this birdie putt at 16. The Longers were 13 under 59 today. They win at 25 under, two better than David Duvall and his son to win the PNC championship. There you go. Canucks, when are they up next? They are in Nashville on Tuesday night. Nashville on, Tuesday. Nashville on Tuesday. See if they can keep it mm -hmm. going. Okay. Thanks, All Barry. Right. You got it. And after the break, the inspiring story of a woman with a terminal illness dedicating the time she has left to helping others. 40 years after establishing a charity to make dreams come true for kids battling life-threatening illnesses, a Winnipeg woman is planning her own one last act of giving. Global's Catherine Dornian has more on her campaign for the end of her own life and her legacy. In 1983, Michelle Harrison helped arrange for a young boy with brain cancer to meet his idol, Wayne Gretzky. This was the beginning of something big, the Dream Factory, a nonprofit that gives kids facing life-threatening illnesses unforgettable experiences. Michelle never thought she'd be on the receiving end of a Dream Factory experience, but sadly, she's now facing her own battle. I feel like I'm going to uh, pass away with some sense of 
I look, I did something uh, for for the kids that I uh, worked with for uh, for many years and leaving this legacy behind with the dream factory of 40 years um, just seemed the, the best thing to do. Now battling terminal lung cancer, Michelle wants to spend her remaining time giving back. The Dream Factory is aiming to raise $60,000 for her living memorial campaign. Executive Director Andrew Cousy says that money will go towards creating more dreams for kids. We're trying to do as much as we can so that we can continue to be an organization that says yes to each and every child and family that we meet um, and never have to put a limit on, on what a dream can be or how many kids and families we're able to help. The dreams might be a trip to Disneyland or smaller things like a pet or a makeover for their bedroom. Andrew says demand has skyrocketed with over 70 referrals for kids this year, up from 28 last year. Michelle says giving kids something to look forward to and hope for is very important. It was um, incredibly rewarding, especially, you know, talking to the children and hearing how their, their wish panned out and how happy they were and the family. You know, because it is really the family going through the whole thing with the child. With over a thousand wishes granted in the past 40 years, she wants them to grant a thousand more, especially since working with the kids has made her own mortality easier to face. I learned about grace. I learned about not to be afraid. Um, There was a lot I learned from the from the children that I'm able actually to carry forward forward now with my own situation. Wanting to carry that hope forward for those she'll leave behind. Catherine Dornian, Global News. A really good legacy she'll be leaving behind there. One of those earth angels we uh, hear about Mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah, very inspiring. Um, Yvonne, one last look at the weather changes coming. (laughs) Yeah, we are going to be tracking some rain. It's going to be on and off through the week. Do keep that in mind. We may see a brief lull in the action. That'll be for tomorrow morning, but then it is going to pick up once again. So grab your rain gear heading out the door for work and school. It'll be heavy at times on Tuesday, and then we are going to be tracking it even for the first day of winter so far and even mild on Wednesday, double digits with temperatures getting up to 11. It was nice while it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, thank you, and thank you for joining us tonight. We hope you have a great night.